Hello and welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. On a very special episode today, we are doing a bit of a roundup of this year's BAFTAs, which were held under very sort of strange circumstances. Today, I'm joined by both members of the team. So, Mary, who are you? I am delighted to be in both of your company, as as always. I'm very excited to, to chat some BAFTAs. Nice. Yep, should be good. Thomas, fresh haircut, clean t-shirt, looking very flesh. nice there. Yeah, yes. how are you doing? Faithful radio, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not bad. Um, I did miss the Glasgow Film Festival podcast, unfortunately, as you mentioned, because I hadn't seen anything. I <laughs> had nothing to offer. <laughs> I guess I've got two films. <laughs> out of, uh, but yeah, uh, I thought I was going to have a same issue with the BAFTA, I want to be fair, but I... Surprisingly, I've seen a lot more from the nominations than I thought I had. And I'd just like to apologise to John for a feel that me and Mary maybe have thrown under the bus when it came to hosting earlier. Yeah, sorry, John. No, not at all. No. We all take it in turns and it just so happened it was it was my turn. But yeah, that's fair enough. Don't mind doing it now and again. You know, I prefer just to be in the background most of the time. But <laughs> you know, sometimes my little star has to shine. <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. My lord. You alright there, Mary? <laughs> I think I'm actually going into cardiac arrest. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Okay, Generally, uh, right. This is for that problem. People have seen Scrooge, but they're really happy that the film scares women to death because it gives them a heart attack. You could advertise a podcast, a podcast that gave Mary a heart attack. <laughs> okay. So this year's BAFTAs were conducted under very, well, very obvious circumstances. There, it was hosted as it was in previous years at the Royal Albert Hall. There was no audience, which made it a bit weird, but there was actual presenters there. Some presenters were online, but most of the presenters were actually in the arena itself for the purposes of the ceremony, it was split into two events, which I thought was quite good, but obviously I'll gauge your opinion on that in a moment. First was on the Saturday, and it was most of the Craft Awards, which was the 10th, and on the 11th, it was the main ceremony where you had all the, the big hitters, all the big awards, and that sort of thing. Now, going through some of the numbers for it, there were two films that were nominated for seven awards, namely Nomadland and Rocks. Closely followed, the six nominations was The Father, Mank, Minari and Promising Young Women. And there was various other ones on five and four and all that. I'm not going to go through the whole list. It was interesting when we were talking about doing this in that the awards themselves and the conversation that we had seemed to focus on the fact that it seemed to be all the same films that were up for every single award. Now, that was true to a certain extent, but there was a, a certain amount of change this year as well in the way that they actually put forward nominations and things like that, and we'll go into that in a few moments' time. But I'd like to sort of gauge what your initial impressions of the, the ceremony and the setup were. Go with you, Thomas. It was strange, and uh, I totally understand that they had to do it but uh, I totally get it, pandemic and all. But I suppose it was also the fact that I was watching WrestleMania earlier that day, and it was the first time fans were allowed into a WWE event for the first time in a year. 
so I felt to me things were getting back to some kind of normality. And then watching the BAFTAs later on that same day kind of sucked me back into the real world <laughs> in a way. And I, I understand they had to do it. I think they did as best as they could under the circumstances for a virtual event. But it didn't work for the most part for me without that audience reaction. Little jokes here and there just really fell flat because there was nothing to kind of bounce off of. And you were saying that some of the... Not the presenters were virtual, some were actually there and I was thinking, can you imagine they did that with the, nomination, the nominees and some people turned up, like one person turned up, going, lads, I'm in the area I can make it, anyone, nothing <laughs> I'm just like, watching people win down Zoom uh, so I thought they did as well as they could under the circumstances um, but it did make the show I felt dragged at, at times and I could see that lack of audience really kind of did hurt it mm-hmm. Mary? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. What I found really off-putting as well was, like, they had a, like a virtual audience. I don't know if people were attend, like, specially selected to attend via Zoom or something, but there was this kind of canned laughter track that was going on in the background, and unfortunately it wasn't quite syncing with the when the presenters were talking. So by the time they'd finished a joke, it had died in its arse, and then they'd moved on to the next sentence, and then the laughter would come in. So you were getting this weird delayed reaction, and you weren't, quite hearing what was being said next I kind of thought they would do something similar to what the Golden Globes did where they had like obviously what Americans call first responders in in the audience like a kind of special select audience but they obviously chose to go with none whatsoever and I agree with something that it dragged despite the fact that it was split over two nights I just felt like it was a little bit clunky at times however having said all of that and bitched and moaned about it it did just make me really appreciate how much I just, I love cinema and I love chatting about films and I, and I just want to, I, it was another kind of thing where I'm just like, yeah, I just really want to get back to that kind of, you know, the big glitzy awards do's where you've got like, you know, Meryl Streep heckling from the crowd or Javier Bardem walking out or, you know, just like, I love those kind of reaction shots that they have or people sucking their cheeks in when they haven't won the award and stuff like that. So I did miss all that kind of live interaction type of thing, but yeah, it just, they tried their best and I know that's such a really passive aggressive comment but I, I felt like they were doing the best with, with what we had yeah yeah it made a bit of a difference the fact that they were able to script it an awful lot more tightly mm-hmm. this year the ceremony actually the main ceremony on the sunday only lasted for an hour and three quarters there was actually 15 minutes at the end where they showed some of the craft categories and stuff like that, basically just to fill in a bit of time because I think they actually got through it a bit too quickly because they, they just they, there was none of that, like you say, the small incidents or people taking too long on the stage and all this, and that kind of tends to drag these ceremonies out as well. But yeah, it was strange that for a, a ceremony that only lasted that length of time that it did seem to drag a wee bit as well, but that's kind of the nature of ceremonies as well, isn't it? Because they're just sort of backslapping exercises. You would be better off just watching a film, in my opinion, or, you know, like them putting uh, the film actually on. So considering that this has been a very weird year and cinemas have basically not been open for any length of time, what did you think about the fact that we've hardly seen any of the films? There was a, a number of films. Normally... We don't get to see these films anyway because of award season and everything. The the Oscars usually happen after the BAFTAs. Again, they're happening this year, but obviously slightly later. But 
we don't normally get to see all of the films before they come to these ceremonies. Now, surely this year was a perfect opportunity for these films to be made available well in advance and not have like them basically unavailable. There's films on there. Some of them I've seen, but I would say maybe about 50% of them I hadn't seen just because they are not available in this country. And I just found that completely bizarre. Yeah, this is the first award season where I feel like, it sounds stupid, I feel unprepared. But usually I have seen like 90% of what's on offer. There's maybe usually one or two just UK release date snafus that you don't quite get around to seeing. But I felt like I was really going in blind to this, which is such an unusual feeling because usually in like, I don't know if it's just me, but usually in my head I'm like, well, I would pick him to win this category or her to win that one or that film or that film or whatever. Whereas this year I was kind of like, well, it could be anyone's game because I've seen such a small percentage of what's actually on offer here. And a couple of films, obviously, like Marini's Black Bottom and Mank are were on Netflix and Sound of Metal has obviously since gone on to Amazon Prime. But I did just feel quite unprepared. Like I felt like I couldn't offer any commentary on it, um, which doesn't bode well for this podcast because <laughs> I haven't <laughs> because I haven't seen them. So it was a kind of odd position to be in. Yeah, I, I totally get that as well. And like I said, I was I'm not the only one for watching the world shows at the best of times. And I, I thought this was okay watching it. It was fun. It was Sunday night, you know, it was like um was something just kind of like take the edge off before Plane of Duty started. And I was surprised, like seeing a lot of nominations that you mentioned, John. There was a lot of kind of same films getting overlapped in different categories. I had seen more than I expected to, which did surprise me. And but I do agree it's a shame, though, because there were so many films I couldn't compare. I couldn't say, oh, well, there's like three films here that I think could one that I think I should definitely win because those films aren't good. I was like, I think that I should win because I've seen it. I didn't have much competition in my own heads between these films because although I'd, I'd seen more than I thought I had, there wasn't great overlap there. <clears throat> what I find quite strange about the whole BAFTA setup is the fact that there is a best film category and there is a British film category, and there is a non-English language category as well, which you do you don't tend to get that in other countries. You you don't you certainly don't get it in the likes of uh, France or Spain with the Sars and the the Goyas, and it seems to be it's more contracted into the fact that these award ceremonies for individual countries are for their own product and the other films are regarded as being international films. Whereas the BAFTAs, I know they've always done that and it's always, it's, it's a wee bit, in my mind, like the Golden Globes because they want to get talent over here to attend these ceremonies and basically validating BAFTA and British film and all that. But I always find it kind of strange that it's the best films are always regarded as being the, the American ones that come in. But and in order to get past that, they had to introduce this British film category, which I know has been about for quite a long time now and everything, but it just always kind of rankles with me a wee bit. And it's not a patriotism thing. I'm, I'm not going to get like a, a Union Jack or anything behind me, you know, anything like that. And be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> For the purposes of a tape, Thomas is sitting in a Union Jack cushion. <laughs> so, obviously, we've got these three different categories of best film. So, in the main one, 
the winner this year was Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Which has probably been the most sort of awards hyped film to date. It's, and again, we, we have a real problem here in that we are not going to get to see Nomadland until the end of the month when it debuts on Star, part of Disney Plus, and then it comes oh, to cinemas. Oh, that one too? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I thought it was going to be like a Prime thing. Oh. No, it's a Fox Searchlight movie. So therefore, they are obviously part of Disney. So it's on Hulu in the States because the cinemas weren't open and it's going to be on Disney Plus here. But it's got, apparently it's going to be in cinemas as well from the 17th of May when cinemas do finally reopen in this country. So what did you think about the fact that the most hyped and biggest non-surprise actually happened with the, the best film category? Was it justified in any way? I mean, if you look at what it was up against, it was up against The Trial of Chicago 7, Promising Young Women, The Mauritanian, and The Father, which we will get to, obviously, in a couple of other characters. So what did you think about that? I've only seen two films in this category, The Mauritanian and uh, Trial of Chicago 7. I I didn't even know about The Father until... That's a world ceremony. And Nomadland is a film I have been looking forward to seeing, but as you mentioned... It's not, it's not out here yet. And Promising Young Women. And you reviewed it, Mary, and you put me off it. Oh, no, that's not a good thing. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean I, I mean, it's like, I, I didn't know much about it beforehand. Uh, I can't get it mixed up with pieces of a woman because oh, both films. Both films. Okay, I'm getting two films mixed up. There's so one I, way... didn't, I didn't like Pieces of a Woman, which had Vanessa Kirby in it, but I did like Promising Young Women, which is one with Katie Mulligan. But they did come out right about the same time, and I reviewed them at the same time, so that's probably why you're getting confused. I get the two films mixed up, that's the thing. So Promising Young Women, I do want to see, because I thought it looked quite good. That was Katie Mulligan. Yeah, see, I was confused, though, because both you you've spoke about them quite a lot in the chat at the same time, and I was like, this, this is the same film, and she just keeps getting them, like... The title wrong. <laughs> just keep inventing new titles. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the same as you, Sammy. Like I had I'd only seen three, so Mauritanian promising young women. <laughs> and what was the other one that I said? Oh, Childish Kang Seven, which is getting a lot of hate on Twitter, and I don't really understand because I actually quite like that, but I feel like it's a wrong opinion to say that you liked it now, because I actually thought I quite liked the rhythm of it. I like the way it was structured. So yeah, I couldn't really make much of a comparison, but I am desperate to see Nomad Land. But yeah, I find the the splitting into the different categories thing a bit strange, especially because Promising Young Women won Best British Film. And to mm-hmm. me, that doesn't necessarily feel like a British film. I understand that, obviously, Emerald Fennel is, is British. But it was set in America. It was a largely American cast. And that's where I think I get a little bit, not confused, but to me, I'm just like, it doesn't really feel like a British film. I understand there's British talent at the helm. But to me, that should, I, I, it was just a bit strange. And there, there, there is crossover between categories as well, because obviously, like I know Minari has been nominated, for example, in the Oscars, I think under, is it the Oscars, the best film in the, uh, not in the English language, but also best picture. So there is that kind of weird crossover between these categories. Yeah, I understand it's, it's the BAFTAs and it's British and British ceremony and therefore wanting to, you know, sort of advertise best of British or whatever. But 
to me it's a wee bit confusing as as a category set up and as, as Simi and I have both said I felt less able to comment on it this year just because I'd only seen three of the titles mm-hmm. yeah I find those kind of like overlap interests as well because like it was a parasite one best film and best foreign mm-hmm. language film last year and yep. Uh, I'm not going to argue against that, but if Parasite wins Best Film, and I know they don't do their awards in this order, but if it's winning Best Film, you know it's going to win the other one. Yeah. And it's the same mm-hmm. here. If you've got a thought, I mean, Burns One Human didn't win Best Film, but if it did, you know, it's, it just automatically by default has to win two awards. If it's, you know, I know the awards don't go in that order, but that's just plays in my head. I don't know why. But Trial Chicago 7, uh, when this got released on Netflix, I was the same as you made. I saw the, the hate on Twitter and stuff, and it kept me off it. Mm-hmm. And then I put it on one night recently, and I thought that was, that was really good. So I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I it. And I, I was just saying, I was like, am I allowed to like it? Is it something insensitive about it that I missed? Uh, somebody cancelled that I'm supposed to not know, I know about? Am I allowed to say I liked it? Uh, did I, have I genuinely missed something here? I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. I, I think they felt like it was like, not talk. I don't know what the word is, but like, I think they felt it was just getting nominated because there was nothing else there. Whereas I actually thought a lot of the performances were really good. I thought Mark Rylance, Frank Langella, and whether you like him or not, Sasha Baron Cohen was actually really good in it. And I just loved the way it was punctuated like by this kind of like heckling soundtrack that they used all the way through it. So I did really enjoy that. But yeah, I'm not sure why we're not supposed to like it. So I tend to keep quiet on that because I just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I don't know is the bottom line. I don't know if, I mean, I've... <laughs> I would need to think about other films we've been releasing last year and that, but and we'll, I'm sure we'll mention this later on. I think there's a lot of films that could have easily been looked at by the BAFTAs that were overlooked. Oh, and definitely. There's, there's got to be a lot more smaller movies as well that maybe deserve yeah. the chance of a platform and a bit of a spotlight as opposed to, as you said, Simi, the same six films over and over again. I'm not disputing the quality of those films because they're obviously you know very well executed, great performances, etc., but I feel like given that there's been a lot of talk around indie movies getting a bigger platform this year, whether that's at the cinema or on a streaming service, you know, maybe the awards enemies could have reflected that a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think there's other films even nominated for other categories at the BAFTAs that are strangely absent from other categories, in my opinion. I know as a seat we can say that all the time in that, but I think especially with the slim pickings we had... <laughs> in the last year, so to speak. I can't say anything about Nomadland, wouldn't it? I do really want to see it, so... I've watched Nomadland, and it's, it is a very good film, and you can see why it was attractive to award supporters, because it kind of ticks all the boxes. Frances McDormand is excellent in the role, but she's excellent in everything she does. It's beautiful cinematography. It's a quite a compelling story. It works in the way that it's supposed to, so therefore I can see why it has done so well. The review on the site, which kind of covers that as well, which was done by Fraser Gray, talks in a lot of the same ways how the the soundtrack and everything fits in very well with the cinematography. It's just a, it's a very well-made film, and it kind of, like I say, ticks the boxes for these type of films. Now, obviously, we've touched on the outstanding British film as well. In that, there was a few other ones. There was Cam with Horses, The Dig, The Father again, which, like Promising Young Woman, 
is a difficult one to kind of categorise as a British film, but I think the way that that works is it's got to do with production and where the money comes from and where oh, it was filmed and stuff like that. It's, there's a there's a formula for working that all out. Apparently, how a film can be classed as a, a US film or whatever. But having said that, I don't think it really matters where it's filmed. If you think about the number of US films that are filmed all over yeah. the world, yeah. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think. Like you said, Thomas, there was an awful lot of films that were out there that didn't really get a look in. And I think that's got to do with the fact that a lot of the stuff that we would probably look to be included in these sort of ceremonies are more sort of genre pieces. So they're they're horrors or thrillers and it's stuff that doesn't get the same consideration as a straightforward drama. Now, for me, one of the ones that was a real miss was the film Host. Yeah, which definitely. Was, which came out on Shudder. It was, what, about 70 minutes long, 65, 70 minutes yeah. long. And it was an excellent wee horror film, but it just obviously didn't get the traction that it needed in order to get into any sort of consideration for this. I think that's probably because the one of the other films, His House, was a horror film. So therefore, they were only ever going to have one horror film when they're looking at that sort of, you know, a type of film, they wouldn't populate it with more than one. Uh, well, I think that, I mean, we've said mods in there as well. Uh, there's, there's a lot more films nominated for Best British Film than there's Best Film. And it's interesting you mentioned hosting and genre films. You're right, something like Host isn't going to be considered for the BAFTAs, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tick enough boxes. No, I don't want to sound like mean <laughs> or like a, a bit kind of, of a certain type of person on Twitter. Example, but I liked his house. I thought it was really good. It's a horror film. It has something to say. Other than that, it's got a cultural message to it, and it's quite dark. Aside from the horror aspects to it, the idea that immigrants are treated and stuff like that, mm. you know that's why it's been picked. Any offence to the guy or the film or that? It's not been picked because it's been a horror film. These horror films always go overlooked in these kind of things. It really yeah. annoys me because like, something like the host was brilliant. Should have been up for best something. You know, it deserves some kind of nomination, especially here. Uh, Saint Maud, again, horror film. Yeah, but it's not just a horror film. It's a fucking art house horror. It was a fucking horror film, though. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. So let's just stop trying yeah. to be ashamed of liking genre pieces. I don't understand that, though, because it's like we had talked about this before about Robert Downey Jr. not getting the Oscar nomination for his last outing as Tony Stark. Like, there is a total snobbery around genre films. And I think that, like, I thought Saint Maud deserved a lot more nominations that it got I mean it really like it's like something like The Witch it kind of really got under my skin and I felt really kind of creeped out by it it's that kind of insidious type of horror that just really gets under your skin I think like seriously the different voting panels of different ceremonies ever need to just take the stick out their ass because some of these films you'll see like even like Possessor which I watched a few weeks ago like absolutely stunning cinematography and yet it would never get a look in at anything like this because it's like a sci-fi horror and I don't understand that snobism around, oh, well, it's a Marvel movie or that movie made money or it was a blockbuster or it's a horror or it's a that. Like, can we not just appreciate the skill behind it as opposed to trying to, you know, well, it can only be Oscar worthy if you're like, you know, an 18th century lesbian having a really bad time. Like, can, can we not just open it up into just appreciating good craft? Yeah. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, or something very kind of like uh, enjoyable. Is, is it wrong? I mean, is, is it wrong for a film yeah. to be enjoyable these days? Yeah, 
yeah. it has to have a message behind it. And as I can feel with the Baptists here uh, and in general, the films all have to, have to say something from a, a social point of view. And it's like, do they really though? I know, and it's ironic because I feel like they, they try and pick on these, like what they would call like working class dramas. And it's like, it's the BAFTAs. The things are made of gold. Yes. This is not a celebration of working class people. Like, let's not kid ourselves. And even as somebody pointed out, like Emerald Fennell, for all that I think she's incredibly talented, you know, really liked Promising a Woman, etc. You know, you can tell the minute she opens her voice that she's not a working class person. So once again, it's about, you know, opportunity and access to, you know, this type of career. And there is a lot more conversation around that these days. And that, you know, that's part of the snobism or snobbery or whatever you want to call it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can touch about that in one of other categories. Yeah. <laughs> it should be noted, though, that in the Outstanding British Film category, they increased the number of nominations from six to ten. Now, mm-hmm. part of the, the whole reason behind that is to basically give a, a bit more publicity to films that otherwise wouldn't get that, which is obviously very worthy and everything. So they are going about it in the right way. But yes, you are right in saying there is certain ceilings that people can't break through in terms of films. And that's not something that's going to be changed in sort of any time soon, I would say. Now, moving on from there, we have all seen (laughs) the winner of the film Not in an English Language, which was Thomas Winterberg's Another Round which was a surprising one. I thought it was a very good film, and obviously we've discussed it in another podcast. But I was particularly pleased to see this because I thought Minari would have run away with this, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest. But yeah, it was a a very good choice. Having seen both of the films, I think Another Round is a, a better film than Minari, but that's obviously just my opinion here. I also thought so, and taking a touch in back, my other comment there, I've seen some people quite annoyed at another round one because it didn't have a message, but Minari did. I'm like, but come on, you know, just a better film. No, but it also really does have a message. That's I was yeah. two films with quite worthy messages behind them, and yet they leave you feeling different ways. Minari, I think, just the way it's shot and lit and everything, it's like already warm and golden, and despite the fact that it's not a good immigrant experience, you are kind of left with that warm and fuzzy feeling, whereas yeah. Another round is very, like we've obviously talked about it, um, it's, you know, very grim at points and quite emotive and quite provocative. And I was thrilled for them. Like I wanted at least something to be acknowledged for that movie because it was just, it was such a good film and something that really, really caught my attention. I did like Vinterberg's speech when he was like, oh yeah, trust the Brits to recognise a film about binge drinking. I thought it might appeal. Yes. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Do you know what's quite funny as well? It's like uh, people would slag me for my film choices. If I watch like 10 Heroes of Films back to back rather than something like you recommend. Uh, the film I was watching just before I came up to this podcast is uh, called Beneath. It's on Netflix it's about a giant catfish eating people that are trapped in a boat in the middle of a lake. I have seen three films in this category. <laughs> Sorry, just for a minute there, I thought you meant a catfish as in like a person who pretends to be someone else online. So I was like, <laughs> how are they holding their breath under a boat? Moment. Maybe that's a twist, oh, man. I think about more that film. Then. Yeah, maybe they unzip and they reveal that underneath the big fish costume they're actually a human. Anyways, I digress. But no, I thought another round deserved to win. The films yeah, I've seen, too. all three of them. I thought Minari was great, and I've also seen Le Miserable, 
oh, which yeah, was not just the adaption of the famous book and musical. It was actually a, a cop drama, a very gritty crime cop drama about corrupt cops in, in, a, in a poor kind of housing district in Paris. And it was good. It was really good. And yeah, I mean, I'm not criticising films with a message. I like films with a message as much as I like films with giant catfish eating people that are not actually people pretending to be a catfish by an actual fish. And there this film was was grim. It was bleak. And yeah. it leaves you with its spoilers. And it, it leaves you really unsettled because it's got a, it's just a very grim movie. And yeah. you mentioned Minari. It wasn't like that. It was very nice and fluffy and warm considering mm. some of its... It's themes, and I think another round man should do all of that. But mm-hmm. leave you entertained, and then yeah. yeah. Okay, so moving on from there to the other prestige awards, which are the acting awards. Now it was nice to see that of the twenty-four nominations in the four categories, twenty-one of them were first-time nominations, Aww. which was very surprising. And yet we still ended up with Anthony Hopkins and Francis McDormand winning the, the top two awards. So, like I said, they, they won leading actor and actress. Now, I'm not denigrating anybody by calling Francis McDormand's performance the leading actress. That's what it actually says on the BAFTA website. So it's not leading performance by a lady or a man. So, and I don't know where that accent came from. That's I've probably appropriated that from somewhere. I'll, <laughs> I'm going to take a few classes and I'll sort it out before I go out in public again, obviously. So, like I said, they won the top two. And then you had Daniel Kaluuya with the best supporting actor. And in a nice little surprise, Minari won an award here with Yu Jong Yoon winning the Best Supporting Actress for Minari, which I thought was a delightful performance. It was. It could have been a, a bit of a caricature performance, but it worked really well for yeah. me. I really, really liked this. Now, what did you think about the fact that Anthony Hopkins... Now, I, I, I must caveat this by saying I haven't seen the film. I've seen various clips and trailers from the film, and it appears to me that Anthony Hopkins is doing all of the acting, all of the time. It's just completely full on. Now, I could be getting that completely wrong. You could be very subtle in every scene apart from the ones that you actually get the clips from, but you could have thought they could have done a bit better, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, since they, since they went to the trouble of making it as diverse as possible, and then they, they give it to the old white guy. I just yeah, thought no. that Mads was going to win, or do you know what? I even really wanted uh, to harvey him to win, because I felt he was... The Mauritanian's a good movie. He elevates it, like his performance is great. So I was like, oh, Mads are to hard, definitely. But no, the the old white guy who's probably got a fucking stack of awards at home and doesn't need another one. I was, I mean, I'm saying that I'm being mean. I haven't seen the film. I obviously don't know, but I just I had other hopes for that category. Yeah, and it's that kind of way. It's like, I mean, I don't want to go do that route. Well, also, the best person should win. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And this, this shouldn't just go well. Let's keep to somebody else since Anthony Hopkins is, you know, has old white guys. He's got a few awards under his belt. But I thought Tahar Rahim was a, was a shoe-in for it based on... Again, I've not seen the far out before. The clips I've seen of it, Anthony Hopkins is great. He's always great. I'm not denying that. I just couldn't think of a better performance I've seen maybe this year than Tahar Rahim. And I saw Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal in between 
seen the batters mm-hmm. at this pod, so I didn't have much of an opinion about time. He's excellent in that as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say because I haven't seen the father, and maybe it does just blow out the water. Mm-hmm. Based on the films that I have seen, I, I don't know. Uh, I think I think it's also nice to look at Sound of Metal, another round, and those another round, uh, Mortinian. I just think that they could have been benefited more mm-hmm. from the award as well. Maybe that's the wrong way to go about it. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm thinking about rather how these awards are divvied up and the discussions in the room and stuff, but I'd be surprised if his performance is better than the other two films I just mentioned. I'd be surprised. I know, because I'm even just thinking about like the physicality of the role in the, the Mauritanian. Like, it's quite extreme in terms of the demands of that type of role. And I'm not denying, I mean, I actually think that Anthony Hopkins chose the scenery and everything, so I'm not really a big fan. And I'm sure it is a, a, a really touching portrayal of, of dementia, and I'm not going to denigrate something I haven't seen, but I just thought that the sort of physical effort that Tahar Rahim went to to get into that role, I thought that's definitely worthy of some sort of, you know, awards clout. Plus, he looked really good in his electric blue suit to sit there on Zoom to get fuck all. (laughs) (laughs) Especially off the back of, like, I mean, he's kind of one of those actors as well that's been in quite a lot and quite a lot of things that we've seen the last year from, like, The Woman Tower to, like, The Serpent, for example, most recently, and just coming off the back of The Serpent, which a lot of people watched, Mm-hmm. A lot of people have watched this, I think, because I've recognised him being in it. Obviously, you've got yeah. Jodie Foster and Benny Cumberbatch as well, but he's the main guy. And you mentioned it's a good film, mm-hmm. but his performance really does elevate mm-hmm. it. And you compare him from this to The Serpent, it really shows you how good an actor he is, the, his range. Yeah, oh, I have been mm-hmm. in love with him since A Prophet. And yeah, then obviously, I managed to catch um, is it The Last Panthers with John Hurt and Samantha Morton that he's in as well. And he's in a lot of like, and the thing is, he's somebody that if you read all of his interviews and stuff like that, he he picks things very consciously and very purposefully to not get trapped into playing a certain type of role. So yeah, his range is absolutely phenomenal. And I just, I, I mean, I'm sure he'll go over it, but I just felt a bit gutted because I just thought he was definitely a shoe in for that category. Yeah, and I think, again, they shouldn't be given a Wars for tokenism type thing. I, I totally get that. But they did have a chance here to really kind of make a statement by giving to somebody who deserved it as well. Not just a kind of case of, well, yeah, your performance wasn't that great, but we'll give you it just to try and make us look good and take a box. Again, I've not seen the far, I think have got that, so I can't compare the performances, but I doubt very much it was so good that it left those two other guys in the dust. Again, that's the performance that I've seen. I've not seen, well, I've seen that around, obviously, but I've not seen, like, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or the White Tiger or that, so I can't compare those performances, but it just did feel like a missed opportunity rather than paying lip service to diversity. Yeah, it seems to be that they've used the more of the craft categories to give awards to some of the more more diverse films. If you look at the likes of... I know I'm not putting these categories down in any way, but editing, for instance, went to Sound of Metal. Mank got the production design. Now, with the production, I always have a good laugh at the production design and the hair and makeup because it's always period stuff. Every single time, it's yeah. always something like that. So, as I say, man got production design, Marianne's Black Bottom got costume design and hair and makeup. And then you got Sound of Metal, which got sound, which was actually a very good shout because that whole film is about the fact that he's losing his ability to hear and what he hears yeah. around him and how they get that across onto the screen works really well. And then you've got the likes of Tenet, won the special visual effects 
awards yeah, now. Yeah, that was kind of conspicuously absent from a lot. Like, I kind of knew it would win some sort of visual effects thing, but I felt like that was the big blockbuster to launch us all back to the cinema, and yet it was quite absent from not just the BAFTAs, a lot of the awards. Anybody's been no, I know the film is one of Nolan's best love films. I genuinely loved it. I thought it was excellent. I think it's kind of one of the films that will benefit from repeat viewings as well. I think it was unfairly maligned of some people. And I think it's a mission here in certain categories. It's been deliberate because of some great performances in that film as well. Yeah, there's been a massive backlash against Tenet. If you look at it wasn't even mentioned in cinematography. It wasn't mentioned at all in production design. It wasn't mentioned at all for the score. What? You know, it wasn't even it wasn't even in the discussions for that, and the score for that film and the sound design for that film is just amazing. Now, obviously, there was a lot of complaints about the fact that people saying couldn't hear anything, but that's mm-hmm. only what 60 percent of your sound design right there. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's... how did this film not get a nomination for best editing? It's like you say, it's a backlash against it. Yes, and you would have thought that that would have been they would have been all over that film yeah. under. Different circumstances. I don't know if it had to do with the fact that a lot of people just didn't understand it, or they didn't work. There seemed to be a, a certain group of people who didn't want to understand it. They just wanted to hate on it. There's always been a contingent of Nolan haters out there, but it seems to be they seem to be right up there this time for this film, and they've got a bit of traction because people saying, "Oh, I couldn't understand what was going on. I couldn't get into the film at all. It was all over the place, you know. God, and some of it was backwards, you know, that kind of thing." So it's. And the thing is, if you look at the best picture, like I mean, like the best picture and even best British film, the narratives are very accessible. There's nothing about them that's. I'm not yeah. again. This isn't shitting on these films, but they're not. They're not difficult to follow, is what I mean. They might be challenging to watch because what you're being shown is, you know, provocative or whatever, but they are not difficult to understand. It, the plot goes from A to B, whereas Tenet mm-hmm. obviously threw a lot of people because they were like, oh, fuck, I gave up after, you know, 60 minutes or whatever. But I am actually astonished at how absent it's been, given that it was, it was the big launch to relaunch cinemas and reopen cinemas. I am quite astonished, whether you like it or not. The craftsmanship in it is absolutely phenomenal, and for it to just be ignored like that seems really bizarre. Yeah, you don't need, yeah. To, you don't need to like the film from a, a story point of view or anything like that, but you can't deny the production value of it. Yeah, totally. It's it is it's very bizarre, but yeah, it's almost like payback. He's getting too big. I mean, if you think about it, a film like Tenet is not a sequel, it's not a franchise, nothing like that. It's a a one-off. There's not going to be a Tenet 2 or anything like that. So it is very bizarre, the fact that this is what people seem to be pushing for. They want original material out there. They don't want the same old thing all the time. And yet when it comes along... Exactly, but they get they get it. They complain, you know, and it's like it's, that's that's not what people want. People want something familiar for the big mm-hmm. blockbusters. They're quite happy with films like Sound of Metal or Nomadland. Is a re indie films. So they can go and see the GFT and pretend they're cultured because they go once a month or once a year. Mm-hmm. But it's in the world, they want to see the superhero films and adaptions and sequels and that because the box office doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Totally yes. So we had sort of mixed responses to some of the categories. Obviously, we haven't covered them all because we would be here all night covering them all. It's no slight to any of the categories that we haven't covered. Is there anything that 
I have not covered that you wanted to highlight. I would like to mention the was his house wedding one for outstanding debut by a British writer, director, and producer, which I think is quite an interesting category to lump three very distinct roles mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that. And again, it's a like Remy Weeks wedding one that he wrote and directed it. Congratulations. You're being released as asylum seekers, not as citizens, not yet. You'll be sent to a home of our choosing. You must not move from this address. We are good people. Whether or not you're good people, it's not me that needs convincing. It's a palace. This entire house is just for us. It's going to be nice. You're going to be happy. As long as you can get along, fit in, be one of the good ones. It's quite a scary film. It's quite creepy. And it's I just personally as a big horror fan liked seeing a horror film win it. Saint Maud was also nominated. Uh, we spoke about it in an earlier pod. I didn't like it as much as you guys did, but again, I will always champion horror, especially in the nominated categories. Even if it's a film I didn't like, I did like Saint Maud. But a film even I didn't like, I still like to see it being mentioned at awards ceremonies and that because you know they just it just isn't get enough love. It's always overlooked. I don't understand the snobbishness to it and. So mentioned earlier, uh, our best supporting actress is uh, Yoo Jung Yoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she even made a joke about the BAFTAs being snobbish because she was surprised she won. And it took, that was amazing. It took the presenters by surprise a little bit. And if it was an audience, I think they'd have been kind of like open mouth, <laughs> uh, dropping monocles and a champagne type thing. <laughs> I, know I, I know I was at home. <laughs> it, was nice, it was nice to see. His house won that because, again, the horror film, and whether they deserve to win it or not, I don't care. I think that, that seeing this in this format this year with the types of films that kept coming up over and over again, it really did make me... I mean, I love awards season. Like, I go, I mean, I love, you know, 10 million Getty photos of people on the red carpet. And, you know, obviously even Edith Bowman was, was thirsting over Pedro Pascal when he came to present. Like, it's a big deal. And I love it. And I love, all, you know, I love all the glitz and glam and all the rest of it. But watching this this year, I think it's just maybe the format just made me go, do you know what? There, it's not even, there is, there's a total snobbery over genre movies, superhero movies and just sort of working class people in general because as I say even when it is a British like if you look at the kind of new stream of British actors who came out recently, your Benedict Cumberbatches, your Eddie Redmaynes, all that sort of thing, all privately educated, you know, not working class people with real life experience as well. And sorry for getting on my soapbox, but it did kind of make me go, do you know what? Yes, they are trying with representation, but I just don't think they're trying across the board it's like okay we'll just we'll nominate more you know people of color but we've actually not looked into the fact that you know as their working class people being nominated as their genre films being nominated you know there's just there still is this kind of snobbery or whatever you want to call it of like you're not part of this club and that and i feel like this particular ceremony this year made me realize that and as i say i'm somebody who loves all the all the red carpet crap like i'll sit up to one in the morning watching e interviewing people asking what designer they're wearing i will do that because i love all that shit but this year, I just feel like I've gone, oh, it really is the same type of people that's winning over and over again here, or the same type of movie. And we made, made that interesting as well, the fact that uh, No Clark was given an award. But what was that? Was it Outstanding was, was Achievement or something to, to cinema? Contribution. Sh- yeah. Contribution. And yeah. he is the guy that shouldn't be winning these awards based on how his awards are set up. And I thought it was interesting, but he said something like when I... 
when I won the awards for like something years ago, I think it was mm-hmm. Rising Star. It kind of flicked his collar up and actually kind of like arrogant. Event. I should have apologized mm-hmm. to him, but no, why should that? I said, why should they? Because mm-hmm. he should have swaggered in that uh, aisle yeah. and picked that award up with attitude because he was making the kind of films that, although there's social media behind him and stuff, there were working class people, about working class people, a working class mm-hmm. background, him coming from that background and stuff. It was authentic and it was quite nice to see him get that wee nod. It made me go back. I'd, had, I'd never seen Kittlehood funnily enough, and it made me actually go and watch it after that. And I thought it was excellent. I thought it was so well done. So, again, just very authentic. They should practice with the preach a bit more, especially the fact that they, he came out at the end and said, Right, that's a great speech, man. But have you seen the awards show tonight? I know. Yeah. Mm. I would also like to shout out to Alan Kim for looking fucking adorable yes. in a little tiny suit. Uh-huh, with his feet dangling off the edge of his chair. He was robbed as well in his category, but he was just so adorable. And I loved him in Minari. And honestly, seeing him in that wee suit just bloody broke me. Absolutely adorable. <laughs> that was great. So, obviously, the BAFTAs this year are a precursor to the Oscars. And there's some overlap, but not always. Do you think? the Oscars are going to be pretty similar in terms of what they're going so, to be. Judging by the Golden Globes and the SAGs and all that's gone before, this is, the I think, the only year in the history of award shows where a different actress has won Best Actress at the different awards on the circuit. So nobody's feeling confident enough to call that at the Oscars. However, Nomadland has, um, and Minari have swept Best Film quite a lot. And the... Best Supporting Actress award has pretty much remained the same across the board with uh, Yu Jung Yoon winning that, I think, apart from at the Critics' Choice, where it was the girl from Borat. So I feel like this is the, the first year where the award season has been quite up in the air. For all that, there's a very limited choice of films. I feel like no two films have won the same things at the same in the same categories, if that makes sense. So I'm kind of keen to see how the Oscars goes. To be honest, if Dave Hopkins wins it, I'm just... Again, I feel like I'm just shit on a film I haven't seen, but I'm just like, give me something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Chadwick Boseman will win it. And I think? I think, it will, I think it will be for the right reasons as well. I think for, for the cups I've seen in my Rainey's Black Bottom, I think it looks like a, it looks like a great performance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I think he'll win it. Is that in the main but, category or is that the is that, um, supporting actor role. though? Uh, leading role. It's leading role? All right, well, yeah. okay. I didn't realise whether Riz Ahmed's actually up for Sound of Metal, which is good to see because that's, that's yeah. a kind of film that I do want to see get real love. I think it's uh, as a film. It, yeah, it's stuck with me, especially the ending. I thought the ending was perfect. Absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, it was, was a good film. Uh, watched it a while ago. It's powerful. It's a, a really strong story. And like I say, Riz Ahmed is a fantastic in it, but he is really bad. In films, yeah, he's he always seems to, no matter what it is. I mean, he's he's turned his hand to most things now, hasn't he? He's, he's done comedy, he's done drama, you know, done thrillers and all that as well. So yeah, excellent stuff. Okay, so I think that's probably just about covered it in terms of our discussion of the BAFTAs 2021. Now, if you, our audience, have any thoughts on what we have talked about in terms of the award ceremony or you have any particular views on who should have won instead of the people who did actually please do get in touch with us 
We are available on the normal social media channels at Movie Scramble. And if you feel inclined, you can obviously drop us an email to podcast.moviescramble.co.uk. Let us know what you think on this or any other topic. And if it's not racist and it's not any sort of hate language, we may actually read it out on the next podcast. But there are no guarantees. But if we don't get any, we might just read out the racist ones anyway, just because then we've got a bit of content. (laughs) So from myself and from the rest of the guys, I'd just like to say thank you very much for listening to us. We will be back with a regular episode the next time once we've actually decided what we're going to cover everything seems to be up in the air at the moment in terms of releases things getting released with maybe a week or two weeks notice which is quite unusual but yes we we shall return so until the next time thank you very much and cheerio see ya bye